You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast, recorded in Scottsdale, Arizona. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. Today, I'm going to talk about things that are impossible. I'm going to talk about the impossible here at Banner Church today. We've been talking about the Dreamer series. I hope you've been enjoying it. Uh, If you've been missing or you've missed some weeks, I want to encourage you because I can't sum up every element of Joseph's life every week. And I can't explain everything. And the journey is important. So I want to encourage you, if you've missed, to go back and to listen. Because I think they're really important. There's, There's parts of Joseph's life that give credence, give understanding to what we're now experiencing. Are you with me? So if you've missed out, I encourage you, go on the site, check it out, go back, and I think it'll be... It'll be really good. But this morning we're talking about impossible. And I always find it amazing what we deem impossible. Uh, There was a movie that came out about the the large tsunami. Do you guys remember the tsunami in 2004? And there was this large tsunami. There was a movie that that came out called The Impossible. And it was about this family. It was a true story, but it was about this family that were uh, on the beach when that tsunami hit. And they were at a resort. They had, it was a wife and a husband, two kids. One kid was in the pool, and the other kid was with the dad doing something else. And when the tsunami hit, a 30-foot-tall wall came and hit them with basically no resistance, like a 30-foot wall of water. And the, the gal, her name is Maria Bella, and they're uh, from Spain, they said, No one recognized the sound. It felt like the earth was coming apart, but everything looked perfect. That's some people's life. I was facing the sea, and I saw a huge black wall. I didn't think it was the sea. I thought it was a black wall coming to get us. And so the wave hits in in her life and in this story of what happened. The wave hits them. She is just smashed up against a tree, is able to climb up, is able to get to a spot, She assumes everyone's gone. She sees her oldest son in the water. So she, with the most epic mom strength, because this is how amazing moms are, she swims to her son in this. And then the second wave comes and hits them both and slams them against the destroyed hotel. And they're pinned. She's under under the water for three minutes. That's how long they say because of how much water was in her lungs. She's under the water for three minutes. But eventually they come out of the water. Her and her son climb a tree and try to get up. He's a little older, so he helps her up the tree. Her leg is so destroyed that she's bleeding out. Eventually, um, a family from a village that was up in a hill comes down to, to look for survivors, finds them, takes them to a hospital. At this point, they assume that her husband and her youngest son are gone. But what had happened is when the wall hit, the husband grabbed on to the boy, and they were both basically washed along under the debris till they could come up and get air and get to the hospital. So the husband takes the son to the hospital to get medical treatment. The wife goes to the hospital to get medical treatment, and they end up meeting in the same wing of the hospital amidst all the chaos. And so the movie is called Impossible. I think that we use that word impossible all the time, that it's just not possible. People look at a situation and think impossible. Obviously, because that movie has that ending, it's possible, right? Like that that actually isn't impossible. But I think we use the idea or the word impossible all the time. We might look at our situation and think it's just not possible. 
From what I can see, it's just not possible. It's not possible that any sense can be made of this, right? It's not possible any good can come of this, right? So that's it. Or, or, or I'm facing something in my life or believing something in my life or have a dream for something in my life, and it just doesn't seem possible given what I can see. And some of you, you might not have had a literal 30-foot wall of water come and crash onto you or experience the weight of that. But in life, sometimes, it, like, like she said, I felt like the earth was coming apart. Though everything looked perfect on the outside, it felt like the earth was coming apart. Has anyone ever felt like that in your life? And so when we talk about dreaming big, sometimes when we talked last week, there's a big difference between the revelation of the dream that God's put into your life and the realization of where he's taking you, right? Between the revelation and the realization, for Joseph, there was 22 years. And so for us, God might have given you a dream, but you're asking, is it even possible Look at my context. Look at my situation. Is it even possible? And so I want to tell you this morning, because I'm believing together, that nothing is impossible for God. Hear me when I say nothing is impossible for God. Real quick in your mind, think of the most impossible thing you can think of in your life. Nothing is impossible for God. Think of the second most. Still, nothing is impossible for God. Nothing is impossible for God. No family is too far gone. No health crisis is too great. No situation is too strained. No dream is too big. Nothing is impossible for God. Because through God, all things are possible. And I believe that God has brought you here this morning to hear me speak into your heart and tell you that nothing is impossible for God. Do you know in life when things are so messy that it's like, it's not funny, comical, but it's like you almost have to laugh because it's like who's writing the script of my life, right? They say uh, truth is stranger than fiction sometimes. Has anyone been like, who's writing this story of my life? Because they have a weird sense of humor when it comes to, to my life, right? Uh, and and I, I like the life of Joseph because I think at some point you're looking at the life of Joseph th- thinking like you can't even make this stuff up. Right, if you have any dysfunction in your life, then you could probably identify with Joseph. Joseph was born into a very dysfunctional family, right? His family had more baby mama drama than you could ever imagine, right? <laughs> it, like, well, I don't, you got to go back and listen to all the other stuff. But it's like just taking one brother sleeping with a wife and then this one and then this happened and then this person was given to this person and then this was here and then these people are killing these people. It's like, oh, my gosh. Like, there was so much chaos and drama, right? One brother slept with a father's wife. Two other brothers killed a whole village of men after their father didn't avenge their sister's rape. Joseph's mom dies at a young age. His, his family hates him. They don't know what to do with him. All this stuff is just crazy, right? In Joseph's life, he's born into dysfunction. He has a prophetic dream of, from God about his future, about the future for the land, and he's hated for it. Just catching you up is that his brothers try to kill him. They throw him in a pit. They sell him into slavery. He works in Egypt. He's accused of rape. He's thrown into prison. He interprets dreams. He's then forgotten by the very guy he hooked up and helped out. He's eventually called up to the Pharaoh's house. And then last week we saw he becomes the second most powerful man essentially in the world at the time. You can't make this up. Right? Like at your best chance, you're not even writing this good of a screenplay. Because, and it's almost stranger than fiction, is that Joseph faced so many scenarios that the world would look at and say, that's just impossible. 
It is impossible to get to where God has called you from where life has taken you. There's a phrase our friend jokes about. Um, she's from Maine. And in Maine, there's parts of Maine that you can't get to in Maine. you got to go outside of Maine into another and then back into it to get to it. So they have this phrase, you can't get there from here. And sometimes in our life, we look at our dream and we think, I can't get there from here. And yet God is the God of impossible. And time and time again, we say we see God use impossible situations in Joseph's life to bring glory to who? To God. We see time and time again, God uses for good what the enemy meant to use for evil. You know, there was a book that came out in the 80s when bad things happen to good people. And it was attempted at that time to address this idea that's a pretty popular thing. It's popular in apologetics with this idea of like how sinful nature factors into the evil that happens in the world and to people. And the book, the whole point of the book was to say that God is loving, but he's not really all powerful. And God is good, but he's not sovereign. So when bad things happen to good people, it's because events are outside of the controls. And so we got to learn to love God despite his limitations. That's what like the premise of this book was, essentially. But I'm going to tell you right now, that's not the God of Joseph. That's not the God that I know. That's not the God that, 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 that loves me. That's not who he is. He's the God of the impossible. He's the God that sent his son to rise from the dead. That's impossible, the God of the impossible. Jesus said in Matthew 19, he looks at his disciples and he says, with man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And so we're going to read in scripture today about three ways that God works in the impossible. And we're going to cover some chunks of scripture, and I'm going to jump around a little bit, but I want to encourage you, stick with me. The words will be on the screen, and follow me in the scripture. It's a lot of scripture to cover. It's the blessing and the difficulty of expository, deep biblical teaching is that we cover a lot of stuff, and I don't want to leave stuff out. So we're going to jump a little bit. Is everyone good? So we're just going to make the promise you're going to roll with me, right, and we're going to stay together. Good? Good. Awesome. Well, we're going to start then in Genesis 42, 1. So Joseph, last week we heard, was uh, in power. He's storing up grain for the famine. And then a great famine hits the whole world, essentially. They say the whole world. They say like the whole known world, that whole area, what they called the world, right? It hits, hits the whole world. And Joseph's brothers come to Egypt. And if we're honest, after 22 years after being sold into slavery, the people that sold you into slavery are likely the last people you expect to see, right? Do you remember in the previous chapter, he says, I'm naming my son um, Ephraim because God has caused me to forget my whole family, <laughs> right? So surprise, here we are in verse 1, 42, 1, it says this. When Jacob <laughs> learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you look at one another? Probably because they know who's in Egypt. And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there, that we may live and not die. <clears throat> so ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt, but Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, for, uh, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Just remember, um, of the wife that Jacob loved the most, uh, she had two sons, Joseph, who was now in, in Jacob's eyes dead, and Benjamin, who is the other youngest son. So he refuses to let him go. And the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. 
Now Joseph was governor over all the land. He was the one who sold to all people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with faces to the ground. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. I can't imagine why. Where do you come from, he said. He said, they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had had of them. And he said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. They said to him, no, my Lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one one man. We are honest men. Seems like a stretch. But your servants have never been spies. So Joseph remembers the dream. Joseph remembers his brother selling to him or selling him to Egypt. What, what that means is Joseph has a bit of trauma. Fair? He has some trauma in his life. He has some unresolved family issues. And so his brothers had sold him to Egypt. And so his father says, hey, you guys should go to Egypt. And they're like, Egypt, what was the last thing we did involving? Oh, yeah, that's right, sell our brother and pretend he died. Right? So there's a strained relationship with Egypt. Now, they're not expecting to see him, but he comes and he says, you're spies. And eventually, he puts them in jail for three days. Kind of like, well, we'll see in a second. We'll keep going. Let's skip down to verse 21. So the brothers are in jail, and here's 42:21. They're standing in jail, and it says, then they said to one another, in truth... We are guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? I don't remember that, but all right. But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They did not know that Joseph understood him, for there was an interpreter between them. So Joseph was using an interpreter to pretend that he didn't understand what they were saying. Then he, Joseph, turned away from them and wept. And he returned to them and spoke to them. And he took Simeon from them and bound them before his eyes. So their conscience is troubled. And obviously, even 22 years later, they have some serious guilt, right? This is happening to us. Because of what we have done, they have guilt, right? Oftentimes, you'll see a lot of your situations through unresolved guilt. And guilt will be a really dark lens to look through your life, which is why it's important to reconcile. And it's important to allow the love of God to come in. But that's a different message, a different day. So Joseph sends them back to Canaan. They leave for a while with the grain. He sends them with some grain. They get back to their father, and they say, Dad, we got to take Benjamin back. They got Simeon, and his dad go, their dad goes, nope. And so basically their dad says, I'm not going to send my youngest, the other son of the wife I love, to this place where he's likely going to be captured, where he's likely going to be taken. And so Simeon's just on his own, essentially. But eventually the grain runs out. And so eventually... Uh, Reuben promises the lives of his two sons. Judah becomes a vow for these kids, and, and so they send him down. And then we're in Genesis 43, 26 through 34, and here's what happens. It says, they come into the palace, and when Joseph came home, they brought them into the house, the present they had with them, and bowed down to the ground. And he inquired about their welfare and said, is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke, is he still alive? 
They said, your servant, our father, is well. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother, Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried out for his compassion, grew warm for his brother. Man, him and Benjamin would have been the closest. And he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out. And controlling himself, he said, serve the food. They served him, Joseph, by himself, and them, the brothers, by themselves. And the Egyptians who ate with Joseph by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. We'll come back to that. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, the youngest according to his youth. And the, and the men looked at one another in amazement. Portions were taken from them, uh, to them from Joseph's table. But Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. And they drank and were merry with, with him. So Joseph brings them into the palace. He brings them, and they can't eat together, but he sits Benjamin down. And we'll talk about this in a second. But he gives Benjamin five times the amount of food. He is obviously favoring this one son, but it says they were merry with him. We go on to uh, 44, verse 30. And so here's what happens. Joseph begins to test his brothers again. And Joseph sends his brothers on, on the way, but he puts a cup in their sack. And he puts a special chalice in the sack, sends them on their way. They catch up to them on the road and say, you stole this special chalice cup thing. And they say, fine, if any of us, this is like maybe be careful with your words. They say, if anyone has stole, you know, they'll be your servant. Like they'll be a slave to you because they're so sure of it. They find it in Benjamin's sack because that's where it's been hidden. And all the brothers go pale because they can't lose another one of these kids. And so they go back and they fall at the knees of, in front of Joseph, remembering the dream. They fall on their knees before him. And it says this. This is, this is the plea that's being offered. Here's Judah's response, 44 verse 30. Now, therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us then, as his life is bound up in the boy's life, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die, and your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. Basically, he's going to go to the grave. For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, if I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord and let the boy go back to his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. And so here's what happens after this moment, after this moment of now these brothers laying their life down for this obviously favored child. Here's what happens, 45, verse 1, the culmination of this moment that we've been reading in Joseph, the culmination of these dreams, the fulfillment in these moments. Here's what happens. It says, then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept out loud so that the Egyptians heard it. He's wailing and weeping. And the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? Get this. But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. 
For the famine that has been in land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest, and God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on the earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and a lord of his house and a ruler of the land of Egypt. Hurry up and go to my father and say, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me a lord of Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks and your herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. Benjamin wept upon his neck, and he kissed his brother and wept upon them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. See, the situation in Joseph's life is so messy and so broken, and we heard about his dream, and we heard about it being fulfilled, and yet even as it's being fulfilled, it's this, it's this messy thing that's happening, and emotions are occurring, and yet God has brought to fulfillment the promise that he gave to Joseph 22 years before. That God brought it to fulfillment, and Joseph is overwhelmed and says his brothers are afraid, understandably so, but Joseph is overwhelmed. And oftentimes you'll look at the dream and look at the situation and wonder, how can anything come through this? But when we read the life of Joseph, we realize that nothing is impossible for God. See, the enemy is going to work hard against your dream. The enemy is going to work hard to fight against your dream. But no one works harder for the dream than God. No one's more powerful. No one is responsible for the fulfillment but God. And so what we see in the life of Joseph is, is three specific ways here that God is moving in the impossible. And I want to share that with you this morning. Are you with me still? I know that's a lot of scripture, but it's important that we get it because it's huge what God is doing. And there's three ways, three things. Is that first is with God, healing is possible. With God, healing is, and I'm not just talking about physical healing. I'm talking relational. I'm talking emotional. I'm talking National. I'm talking in identity. I'm talking meant. I'm talking about in every way with God, healing is possible. And what I love about the story of Joseph is that God can soften what sin has hardened. Follow me here. God can soften what sin has hardened. See, it took a long time for it to happen, and it might be the case in your life or in your family, is that 22 years before this moment, the brothers of, of Joseph were so hardened that they lashed out in rage and were going to kill their own brother because of a dream, because of a prophecy, because of the word of God that was coming through his mouth. They lashed out. They were so hardened to it. It says in, in 42, it says, Joseph begged. It took merely seconds for his cries, for his begging from the pit to reach the ears of his brothers. But it took 22 years for his cries to reach their heart. And it impacted their heart. And God worked on their heart, and it softened it. Look how things have changed in the life of Joseph. I want to pull some things out. Look at what happened to the brothers. When uh, Benjamin was given favored portions in chapter 43, they didn't resent it. He's obviously the favored. Same situation. Joseph is testing him. When, he gets it, when Benjamin, the favored son, I mean, they would have turned on Joseph here, but when the favored son gets accused, they, they trusted each other. They didn't accuse each other. 
They trusted each other and stuck together when the cup was found. They didn't abandon Benjamin to have him carried to Egypt. They abandoned Joseph to send him to Egypt. But in this moment, their hearts were softened, and they didn't abandon him. They humbled himself for the sake of the son that was obviously favored. You're kidding yourself if you think Jacob got less attached to Benjamin when Joseph died. Obviously, this son would have been favored. They knew that their predicament was a result of their sin against Joseph, and they share that in Genesis 44. They offer themselves as slaves to Egypt instead of Benjamin in 44. And they show their concern about how it might affect their father. Before, they didn't even care. They brought him a rag soaked in blood. That's a great way to not care about the well-being of your dad. And even then, Judah was willing to be the substitute Judah was willing to stand in the place, Judah, who sold his own brother into slavery because he was favored, because he was loved more, is now willing to step into slavery for the favored brother. Do you see what scripture is trying to tell us is that God can always soften what sin is hardened. God can always soften a hardened heart. You might know people or feel people, their heart is so hardened to the love of God, they, they, just, they can't get it because the heart is so hardened and, and, and they're just so hard and, and you, want, you want them to know and you, want, you desire for, for them to experience the life to be healed. But it's just, it's just like scales like Paul had over their heart and it's so hardened. But can I tell you, there's always hope. Maybe you came in here with a hardened heart. One of my favorite people in the Bible is the thief that hung next to Jesus Christ. He didn't get dressed up. He didn't memorize scripture. He didn't even go to a worship service. He was just a thief who got crucified at the right place at the right time. Think about that. His crucifixion and being next to Christ was probably one of the best things that happened to him because he got to go to heaven. And so here's a thief who's messy and dirty and has a hard heart. And yet what he does is he's hanging next to Christ and his heart is softened. And he looks at Jesus and he goes, remember me. And Jesus says, I remember you. You're going to be with me in eternity. See, God can do the impossible. Only God can use a thief's execution to bring him into relationship with the enemy meant for evil. And my encouragement is we look at this, no family member, no relationship, no coworker heart is too hard that God cannot soften it. The people that you're encountering or even in your own heart, no heart is too hard that God cannot soften it, that God cannot do something, that God cannot do the impossible. No one is beyond hope. There's always hope through Christ. Amen? Is that God can do the impossible in a heart. The second thing today that we see, and I love this, is with God, restoration is possible. See, we often believe that restoration is impossible. For some people, it's just too much. It's too far gone. Some situations, it's just too divided. But let me tell you this morning that God can always mend what man has broken. God can mend what man has broken. Look at the division in Joseph's life. Look at the brokenness. Not even just in Joseph's life. Look at the whole situation. I told you about in in chapter 43, there was that sentence right there in verse 32. It says, the Egyptians ate by themselves because to eat with Hebrews was what? An abomination. You know what that's called? When someone is a different uh, race than you and you refuse to eat with them because it's an abomination? It's called racism. (laughs) That's what it's called. And yet here is Joseph, a Hebrew, leading the Egyptians. 
It's an abomination if he eats in them. He's got to use his own entrance if he was a Hebrew. He would have to sit at his own table. He would have to be in his own spot, and yet he's eating with them. This would be, I mean, just, just get how impossible this is, but amazing. This would be like a, this would be like, let's say, in the time of slavery in our country, if there rose up an African-American as he's second in command, so vice president. Could you imagine how impossible that would seem? And yet that is the God that we serve, is a God that doesn't like racism, a God that wants unity and connection. Racism doesn't come from God. Dividing tribally doesn't come from God. Being united and together comes from God. And so when we look at our own country and our own situation, we look and say, man, it's impossible that these people could accept these people and these people could accept these people. And we just had an election. We can't even just pick parties and still not kill each other and burn down buildings, let alone tribalism. And we look at that and we think it's impossible. And yet when I look at Joseph's life, I see that it's possible that God brings bridges, that God brings connection, that God brings opportunity because God created every person. And it doesn't matter your race, your creed, your background, your country, your nation. God desires us to be together. God desires us to be united. Gives me really good hope, I think, for this nation. As I was reflecting on, um, on the elections and all this stuff, I think the most telling things is what it brings out of people. Because if you think that that attitude lives dormant and then comes alive during election season, you're wrong. Those things live in your heart all the time. And so as a pastor, my heart is for people. My heart is for Christ. And the kingdom that I serve is the kingdom of heaven. And I desire for us to realize that there's hope for your nation, for your home. Because man has done an excellent job of breaking things. But God can mend what man has broken. Pharaoh invites a whole nation of people that they would have refused to eat with to come now and live in choice land. Get that. People and he's not the one that enslaves them. He loves them. He gives them opportunity. He gives them land. Joseph is like a father to him. Look at Joseph's family. Look at what a good job they tried to do to break it. Some of you and your family, people have done a good job trying to break it down and break it apart to destroy the dream. And I think, think about that moment when they come in and they encounter Joseph. Like I said, there was probably some trauma. There was distrust, but there was hurt. It's like, y'all were supposed to protect me. You're supposed to care for me. You're supposed to be my brothers. You have no idea what I've gone through because y'all just couldn't handle a dream. You don't know what I've suffered, right? That, that would be like what we would assume is understandable. And I think that's what the brothers thought because it says in 45.3 that when they saw him and realized it was him, they were dismayed. Why? Because the person they tried to kill now has the literal authority to kill them. That's a scary moment. When you realize the person you tried to murder now could legally murder you. That's, that's, a, that's a looking for the exit mode. Like, how do we get out of here? Because this is how messy it was. But Joseph knew what we know about God, that God is a God of restoration. And so the world told him, take vengeance. The world would have told him, man, you got to get your brothers back. Do you know what they took from you? Do you know what they did for you, to you? And he said, you know what? I, yeah, I, I know all that. But I know who God is. God is a God of restoration. God is a God of restoration in the impossible. Restoration in impossible families. Restoration in impossible re uh, relationships. Restoration in impossible nations. Restoration in impossible hearts and impossible lives. What is impossible with man is possible for God.
You might look at your dream. You might look at your family. You might look at this city. You might look at this nation and think it's impossible. And you're right. With man, it's impossible. No person you elect is going to make it more possible. Maybe a little better or a little worse one way or the other. But it's not going to make the dream any more possible. What's going to make it possible is God. What's going to make it possible is an awakening of the Holy Spirit. What's going to make it possible is a people who are sold out to prayer for restoration. People who are about the Spirit. So when we encounter those people that the world says we should take vengeance on instead we take restoration for and we believe and we stand next to you regardless of how they've hurt us in the past if you hold on to the vengeance you're just causing more wars you're just causing more pain you're just causing more suffering but God this morning wants to release you to believe again that God can restore the world cannot God can restore God can restore in relationships. God can restore in families. If he did it for Joseph, if he did it through Jesus, he can do it in your life. Everyone still with me this morning? Drink this water. Try not to hit my head. I hope this is for me. <laughs> it's like, now you have a cold. <laughs> Third thing, final thing this morning is that with God, every dream can be fulfilled. This is why it's important. And we talked about dreams. I said it's got to be a God dream. You got to draw near to God. You got to get in his presence. You got to hear from him. You got to invite, you know, him to speak into your life, whatever that looks like. Because it's got to be a God dream. It can't just be a nice thing that eventually maybe you'd like to do. Life's too hard for that. It's got to be a God dream. What happens though when we dream big is that we think the enemy lives in neutral. But he doesn't live in neutral. He hates your dream and he hates you and he wants you to die. Amen. And people are like, oh, church got sad. I'm like, no. <laughs> no. The enemy doesn't live in neutral, though. Right? It's not like someday he's like, all right, I'll put on my extra long Satan ears or whatever, however you picture him. Right? You know, like, he's really getting into it. No, the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And yet God can fulfill what the enemy meant to destroy. God can fulfill what the enemy has tried to destroy. If God has given you a dream, like uh, he gave Joseph a dream, then the enemy is going to work overtime to destroy that. Because what the enemy doesn't want you to be is a dreamer. So we made these shirts and these hats, and it doesn't say Banner Church anywhere on that. Because I don't want to promote our name. I want to promote the dream that's inside your heart. Because I want you to be about the mission of Jesus Christ in your life. Now, I'm not saying if you don't buy the shirt, it's not that. They're very comfortable. Buy them. But I'm just saying I want you to see yourself as a dreamer. Because if God put a dream in your life, the enemy just wants to destroy it. And you got to be on the offensive, on the drive, on the believe that God's going to do something. And what I love is that as strong as the enemy might think he is, he's not as strong as the God I serve. He's not as strong as the God I serve. And we talk about this all the time. What the enemy meant to destroy your purpose and your dream, God can use to release you into your purpose and your dream to fulfill it. Let's read again together. Uh, if you have your Bible, verse uh, Genesis 45, 4 through 8. I'm going to invite the band up this morning. 45, 4 through 8, it says this. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold to e into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Can we sing that You Are Good song? I like that one. 
For famine has been in the land these last two years, and they are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and keep you alive for many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. Think about that. It says the enemy wanted to destroy the dream. And in an effort to destroy the dream, he just moved me a little bit closer. Because God used what the enemy wanted to destroy me. The enemy put me in prison, Joseph is saying, to destroy me. But I just got better at using the gift he gave me. And when the time came, I stepped into it. And now I'm not just the administrator of a house. I'm not just the administrator of a prison. I'm the administrator of the earth. Like, I run the world. <laughs> like, you know, I'm not just anybody. I'm stepping into what he's called me. What the enemy meant for evil, God used for good. What the enemy meant for evil, God used for good. The enemy wanted to destroy a man, but what he ended up doing was saving the world. That sounds familiar to me. Because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to this earth. And the enemy wanted to destroy him. So he threw his best bet. And the best bet for the enemy is shame and death. That's usually what he doubles down on. So he crucified Jesus in a shameful way. And as he was victorious and felt victorious, you know what happened three days later? It's that Christ rose from the grave. And though the enemy tried to kill a man, the Son of God, fully man, fully God, he ends up saving the world. Think about that. Think about that. What the enemy meant for the greatest evil on earth to crucify in shame and disgrace the Son of God, to look up at God and be like, take that. God took, he's like, fine, I will take that. I'm going to take that. I'm going to use it to save everybody. And now you're in this place to hear the hope and restoration of the love of Jesus Christ because the enemy thought he was going to use evil and God used it for good. Are you with me? Are you following me this morning? Is that some of you are facing what seems impossible, and you need to hear the words of Jesus who looked at his disciples and he said, for man it is impossible, but for God it's impossible. Some of you are facing impossible reconciliation in your family because of hurt, because of distance, because of separation. And the world would say, you'll never be together. And God says, no, 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 no. If I've given you that dream, if I've planted that in your heart, it's not impossible. With God, all things are possible. Some of you feel like you're facing an impossible situation with your kids. And this week, you've been struggling and wrestling because you feel like I'm facing an impossible situation with my kids. It's not impossible through God. Through God, all things are possible. Through some of you, you face an impossible situation in relationships or in a relationship, and you feel like your whole relationship status is just impossible. It's impossible to trust. It's impossible to love. It's impossible to find that connection. It's impossible to overcome trauma. But with God, all things are possible. Some of you are facing addiction. And in your mind, when you feel that 30-foot tsunami come towards you, it's impossible. But I'm going to tell you, through God, all things are possible. Through God, all things are possible. Some of you, you look at this country, and people call you crazy because you still pray for it because that's how lost in their mind it is. And I know that, that there's lots of countries in the world, but I have to raise a family in this one, so I would love for it to serve Jesus, right? Good? I like good laws. <laughs> and they look at it and they go, it's impossible. Look at this place. But I believe that nothing is impossible through God. Some of you, God gave you a really big dream, really big dream. And it's so big that it is impossible. You look at your dream and you say, God, it's impossible. And he said, I know. 
That's why you didn't give it to you. I gave it to you because through God, all things are possible. Hear it in your heart. Through God, all things are possible. Through man, it is impossible. Through God, it is possible. And so since through God, it's possible, what are you supposed to do? If we look at the life of Joseph, if we look at Jesus Christ, if we look at the God who's called us and we read from his word and we go, okay, our situation is impossible, but God, you're how it becomes possible. What am I supposed to do? Because it's not bring my hands and worry, but there's some real stuff happening in my life. What do I do? But you got to say, God, I trust you. Amen, sister. God, I trust you. God, I trust you. I love this form. I pray this a lot of my life. God, I trust you, so I give it to you. Do what only you can do. Hear that? God, I trust you, so I give it to you. Do what only you can do. Right? God, I know that your love is good, and I know that your love is with me, so you know what I'm going to say? I'm going to take all of this anxiety and control that I want in my life, and I'm going to say, God, I trust you. I give it to you. I need you to do what only you can do. I need you to do in my situation, in this life, in this dream, in this family, in this nation, in this place, I need you to do what only you can do. You know what's birthed out of that? Revival. God, I trust you. God, I give it to you. I don't give you a little bit. I let go of the whole thing, and I give it to you, and I say, do what only you can do. And this morning, he's asking you, do you need me in your situation? Are you facing the impossible? And if the answer is yes, in this nation or in my life or in my family or my situation, I'm facing what I feel like is the impossible. I need you, Lord. He's saying, okay, then I'm going to invite you this morning to take a step to say, I trust you. I give it to you. Do what only you can do. Would you stand with me this morning? Would you close your eyes? Because I'm going to ask you to make a decision in one, in one moment. And part of that decision is going to be a movement. You say, why do we take a step? Why do we have altar time? Why do we do this? With every eye closed, hear my words. We do this because I believe that there's something special about when you move, when you come forward. You're in a, you're in a movement and a shift of wanting to meet. To step out and say, God, I'm coming forward. Would you meet me here? Would you meet me here in this moment? I know you're with me, but I need a deeper understanding, a deeper revelation of you, God. And so I'm going to take a step forward, and I'm going to say, God, in my situation that seems impossible, in my dream that seems impossible, I'm just going to come forward, and I'm going to say, God, I trust you. I give it to you. Do what only you can do. And so in just a second, I'm going to invite you to make that step. If you need God to show up in your work, if you need God to show up in your family, if you need God to show up in your health, if you need God to show up in whatever that might be in this nation, in this city, and you're saying, God, I'm just going to take a step, and I'm going to say this morning, God, I trust you. God, I give it to you. God, I need you to do what only you can do the restoration, the mending, the togetherness. I need you to do what only you can do in this moment. I need you to do that. Every eye closed and every head, but I hear that. It's God stirring. Do you need God to be in your situation? I'm going to invite you in just a moment to come forward and to just meet with him. In just a second, say, God, I need you. God, I trust you. God, I give it to you. God, do what only you can do. I invite you, if that's you this morning, we're going to stay in this attitude of worship and just come right forward and receive this morning. God, I need you in my situation. 
God, I need you in my situation. Just take a step. Just come right down here. Don't worry what people around you think. If they judge you, we'll kick them out. Just come forward. Say, God, I need you. I need you in my situation right now. God, I need you in my situation. God, I need you in this situation. I need you in my family. God, I look at this nation. I need you. Come on forward. It's okay. Come on. All, all the way up. All the way up. It's okay. Come on forward. All the way. There you go. Come on, sister. I feel like the Lord's saying he just loves you and cherishes you in this moment. He's here for you and he's with you. You don't have to wait. He's right here. And that he loves you and that you're special to him and you're his daughter. To this if you're up here would you just lift up your hands kind of in this moment it's an act of release and surrender and just says god i'm just surrendering to you if, if your arms get tired you can bring them down but just lift them up in this moment and if you're in this place and you're believing that same prayer whether or not you came forward well i'm gonna pray over pray over you in this in the in this second and I'm just going to believe as we do that God's going to meet you. And what he's going to bring into your heart is by the power of the Holy Spirit. This church is all about the Holy Spirit, <laughs> as it should be. Is as you're filled, as you're feeling that, that deeper, deeper connection, that deeper feeling that God's going to bring in a peace. That you're saying, God, I need you in this situation. As he comes in, he's going to bring what you need. I don't know your situation, but the Lord does, and he wants to meet you right here. So I'm going to pray for you this morning. And as the band plays, just take a second to say, God, I trust you. I give it to you. Do what only you can do in my situation. Whatever that is this morning, let's pray together. God, we come before you as your children. God, we come before you and we say, God, we lay it all down. God, we know that through man it's impossible, but with God, nothing is impossible. With God, nothing is impossible. No family is beyond reconciliation. No body is impossible. With God, it's possible. So right now, Lord, my prayer is that, God, right in this place, we would say, I trust you. God, I give it to you. God, I need you to do what only you can do. Say it with your mouth. Say, God, I trust you. God, I give it to you. God, do what only you can do because I know that your love is good. I know that your love is good. Fill me up, God, in this moment. Just begin to receive that. Let's worship him this morning.